Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Again, friends, checking in from Valmont. I think that's how you say it. V a l e m o u n t. Just outside Jasper, sitting on the street, recording this podcast episode. It is really beautiful up here. Lots of fucking mosquitoes. Gotta say, have spent much of the last few days battling skeeters. We bought one of those, never seen them before, but apparently these kind of like electrified rackets where you hit the mosquito and it electrifies it and like buzzes when you hit it. It's very satisfying, I have to say. What do mosquitoes do, by the way? Are they useful for anything but food for other animals? I feel like if I knew more extensively about the use and purpose of mosquitoes, I would hate them less. I should probably Google that. Anyway, um, let's see. Today's episode is going to be with Marissa. I met Marissa a week ago um, in Vancouver. She is a transgender woman, and she's super fucking cool. Um, I really, we hung out with her a little bit after I recorded this episode as well, and really can't wait to see her and hang out with her again. Um, One thing that I really appreciate about her, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I find that especially amongst people my age, at least, and Marissa's um, older, so perhaps this is why it's an exception, but I find that people who sometimes who exist in minority groups, let's say the transgender community or who are African-American or Native American There's a lot of kind of hostility, I think, toward people who are uneducated about certain things. Um, I see it a lot with pronouns now, like, how dare you fuck up my pronouns, you know? Um, And I'm not going to explain it to you. You should just do the research and figure this out on your own. I'm not going to spend my emotional labor to explain to you how to identify me properly. And I understand the anger, for sure. I I don't necessarily think it should be anyone's responsibility to explain their marginalized experience to a privileged person. But I'm having a real hard time with it recently because I feel like there's so, especially online and on Instagram, there's so much activism that to me seems completely... Um, like the the entire uh way that they're expressing their activism is toward explaining how people are doing things wrong. 
um, whether that's, you know, white cisgender men or the white female feminist community. And it's like, on the one hand, I totally understand the anger, and I think anger is really useful. But on the other, this kind of pointing and waving fingers at people and not approaching people with empathy and kindness, especially when they're actually good people and just want to understand something. I mean, especially I think for older people who didn't grow up where people were referring to themselves as they, like, let's just like assume that people are good. <laughs> let's give people the benefit of the doubt and be kind of cordial about it. And, oh, hey, you fucked up my pronoun or, oh, you called me a transsexual instead or instead of transgender or, um, you know, whatever it is, and just approach each situation with empathy and kindness. I get that that won't get us everywhere. I think we need a degree of, of anger. I actually just wrote a worksheet for my Patreon supporters. I do like a worksheet every month as a, as um, a perk. And I just did one on paradox. And one of the things I talked about was how we need both anger and love simultaneously um, especially within the space of activism. I think we need anger to drive us forward, but I think we need love and empathy to actually make any sort of significant long-lasting progress as it relates to other people. So anyway, long story short, I'm getting off topic a bit here, but my point is just that I found Marissa as someone who exists in the transgender community to be just like super chill and kind and, um, you know, I'm very familiar with these spaces as it relates to gender and sex, but not everybody is. And I, fi I feel that she just approaches all of these situations with a lot of humility um, and a degree of understanding that not everyone's just going to get it at first. And I really like that about her, among other things. Super, super smart lady. Um, so today's episode is with her. Before I get into that, though, I wanted, what did I want to talk about? Um, there are a couple things. Firstly, I didn't talk a lot about, I went to an astrology conference several weeks ago in Seattle. Um, I haven't talked about astrology a lot, mostly because I, I'm in a weird phase with astrology, <laughs> um, which I won't totally get into. However, I went to a couple of lectures by um, this guy, Jason Hawley, who I am obsessed with and obsessed is not an exaggeration. I'm like trying to figure out how I can get to Santa Fe where he lives and somehow work with him in some capacity or like kidnap him and make him be my mentor. Um, but he's a psychologist and he uses astrology predominantly within the space of story and myth, which is what I'm really fascinated by. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with astrology, Basically, all of the planets and signs are associated with myth. Um, <clears throat> and so understanding someone's chart can kind of allow you to understand what stories are playing out in their lives most prominently. And then within those stories, what is the healthy and shadow expression of that story? Um, I, I love how he talks about psychological conditioning in that, like, one of the things he said or said in one of these lectures was that there is no such thing as a narcissist. There's just a narcissistic process, um, and you are running it. We're all, we all have the capacity to run that process. It's just, just a question of how strongly um, certain people are running it. But, you know, by, by looking at it as a psychological process, a coping mechanism, 
we can understand how these things can be adjusted over time. We're not a narcissist. There just is narcissism. But I would say um, there were so many things that he talked about in his lectures that struck me and my friends in, in such a profound way. At the end, he did a, a lecture on Scorpio that <laughs> I would say probably half the room was like sobbing at the end. It was just so impactful. And again, I think that really just speaks to the nature of what he does, which is to focus on these stories. And instead of talking about astrological signatures is just having these sort of random qualities, right? Leo is this, this, and this. You look at the story and the myth behind it, and you start to figure out why it expresses in those qualities. They're all connected through the story. Um, but one thing that he said that I wanted to share with you today was he was talking about... Um, the concept of, uh, you know, self-evolution or growth. And he told a story, he's a, a counselor, and he told a story about how he was working with a client and he'd been working with her for quite some time. And it was a couple years and they'd done, made all this, oh, I wonder if you can hear that raven, it's quite loud. Um, he was telling uh, the story about how they'd done all this work together and how she was uncovering all these aspects of herself and her patterns. And she was seeing a guy who he didn't particularly, you know, quote unquote, approve of or like. And she mentioned, you know, at some point in their counseling, she said to him that she was going to go move and live with him. And his kind of first reaction was to make a judgment about that. So to, you know, his first thought was, oh, my gosh, after all the work we've done, you know, that's not a good move. And he caught himself because that's not really the, the best role for a therapist to play. Um, but the way in which he caught himself was to think about the concept of evolution, um, self-evolution in general. And he said, what if growth was not, what if growth was just depth, not progress? So we go into therapy and let's say the goal is to uncover as much about ourselves as possible, ex explore our, you know, capacity as, as it has to do with our history and our future and our present and our patterns and, all these multiplicities. And what if we looked at that process as just getting deeper, not necessarily moving forward? And I thought that was fascinating. And he talked about this woman in terms of like, you know, what if this phase in her life of going to live with this man, whether or not he was the quote unquote right person for her, that that was the necessary next step for her to go deeper so it removes all this judgment about what is the right and wrong decision. And of course, because everything is nuanced, one could use that argument to excuse, you know, not following one's own intuition or, you know, um, just excusing bad behavior. But assuming we're conscious and aware to follow our intuitive hits like that and to give ourselves a little bit more credit that, you know, the goal here isn't to get better necessarily it's not to, we're not trying to move to a specific point. We're just trying to understand ourselves more. And in order to do that, we have to go deeper. So I wanted to share that because I thought it was such a profound way to look at um, all of our processes in understanding ourselves more. That we, when we look at it as depth instead of progress, that 
I just think that sort of widens the playing field a lot and gives us a lot more room to um, appreciate the journey that we're on. So I've been thinking about that a lot. Just wanted to share that with you. Um, what else? I think might be extending this trip, might just not ever go home. <laughs> um, that's a whole thing to talk about. I, uh, it's been really fascinating to be on the road like this and realize how much more I feel like home in a van moving around than I have at multiple, like, quote-unquote, homes, houses, apartments. Um, like, this feels more like home than a lot of the structured homes that I've lived in. Um, so I've been thinking about that a lot and what is that and why, you know, why is it sometimes just so much more comfortable to live with a lot less and to wash dishes in the river and, you know, to have a small box of clothes to pull from as opposed to a whole closet and to eat dinners that are a lot more simple in one pot than to cook six things at once. And I kind of think about going home to my routine and the stagnancy of that feels debilitating in many ways um I made a joke the other day that like what if road trips are like the modern day hunter-gatherer lifestyle <laughs> but I think although moving a lot more frequently there is kind of something to that um you know this whole idea of finding a place and settling there even if there's a place to return to once in a while this just whole idea of um moving around or even having a place that grows over time. I just, the stagnancy of, I think our modern day life has become suffocating to me in a way that I can no longer deny. And it feels fucking great to be moving around. And so I might just keep going. Maybe I'll get rid of my apartment. We'll see much more to come on that. Um, I think that's all I'll share today. If you would like to help support the podcast, you can head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Anya Cates. Um, for just a few dollars a month, uh, you get access to tons of perks, bonus episodes, worksheets, weekly columns of inspiration, etc. And help me um, make a living off of this because, as you know, it's free and I really don't want to have ads because they're awkward. Uh, so I'd like to keep this ad free. But the only way to do that is to somehow figure out how to make a living off of it. And so Patreon is the way that I'd like to do that and keep it that way. Um, so yeah, head on over to Patreon. Uh, I think I started this podcast uh, back last fall really just talking about how we vote with our dollar and how every decision we make throughout the day is either opting into or out of systems. And so if this is the type of um, material and content and thought that you enjoy and that you would like to see proliferated, I think the best way for all of that to do that for all of us to do that is to invest in the ideas that we believe in. So, if you have a couple bucks a month, that's all it takes. I'd really appreciate it. If not, you can always um, leave some stars in your podcast app or leave a review. That also helps a lot, helps uh, people find the show better, makes them maybe want to listen to it because they see positive reviews. That takes two seconds. You can go into your app right now and do that. Um, subscribe as well. That also helps. Um, and that's it. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoy this episode with Marissa, and I will talk to you next time. All right. I am here with Marissa Ann. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I met you through Chris Ryan. I actually listened to your episode that you did with him this morning. I got through like 75% of it, which was fascinating. Wow, six years ago. Yeah, yeah it was a really long time ago. Yeah. Um, so that will be really cool to kind of, and I recommend listeners, if you haven't listened, go back. I think it was episode 43 that he recorded with you in 2013. Yeah. Um, so I know you had said you'd been through and had... A lot has changed since then, <laughs> which, yeah. which is really cool. Um, so I guess firstly, though, I would love for you to tell the listeners who you are. How do you describe yourself? Who am I? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think when, when I connected with you uh, after Chris put us together, uh, I said, like, I, I think I, I'm a queer, polyamorous, kinky, um, business strategist, uh, musician, um, and uh, I don't apologize for it. Yeah. So yeah. that's basically the, the elevator pitch on who I am. And you're a transgender woman. Did you I'm a that? transgender woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, by the way, I'm transgender. But it's really um, just like, and no, not aborted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, like just talking about the thing I did with Chris six years ago, mm. I, I haven't listened to it in years. Mm. And so what I thought at that time about where I was headed. Yeah is probably radically different than where I ended up, and I'm going to go back and listen. You should. It's quite the time capsule. Yeah. I guess one place to begin is that I remember you had said that you were pretty confident that you weren't going to go through gender confirmation surgery, yeah. and that the reasons that you weren't were because of work yeah. and because of family. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I would say that. <laughs> yeah. But that has changed. Oh, yeah. No, that all changed. And, I did all those things. And do you think that was a reaction to culture and the times or your own personal journey or both? Or I'd love to hear, mm -hmm. like, how did that change in a decision get made? Well, I think for a lot of transgender women or transgender people in general, um, I, I think fear keeps us back from making decisions that we feel are, are right for us. And, you know, if I had to point to one thing, I would say, you know, fast forward, um, you know, four to five years after that time, a lot has changed with our, you know, particularly North American society. Um, and I'm, I'm north of the border, so being Canadian, you know, I'm, I'm, we're in a little bit different of a, a political environment than perhaps in the U.S., but uh, still a lot of the things are the same. And, and so at the time, I had a 30, almost 30-year 30 career at that time in, um, you know, I know Chris tried to kind of obfuscate what I was doing. I think he called me a real estate, uh, yeah, I was in real <laughs> estate, but, but the reality is I was in the technology business, mm. and, and I started in, in 1983, but or 82, but a year after IBM introduced the first PC. Oh, wow. Most people don't know. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I before wasn't born you were yet. born. <laughs> yeah. And, and so uh, you invest a lot and, and you bring yourself up to, you know, economic and social privilege levels mm -hmm. that sustain this lifestyle, buying a house, having a mortgage, having a kid, having, you know, a wife and all this sort of thing that I, I did at the time. And um, and you don't want that to go. You don't want to lose your privilege. I mean, we see that evidence of that all the time. There's all these older boomers and and uh, you know, uh, no, hanging on to their privilege desperately as we try and force them into progressive change. And I was I was probably one of those. I was still feeling that. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, now, uh, you know, acceptance in the workplace, acceptance at a social level, 
although it's nowhere near where we need it to be, it's a heck of a lot better than where it was. And it, I found the right time and the right place to make that transition, and I did. Yeah. Was that when you made the decision to make the transition, Was it? did it go differently than you expected it to? Totally. Yeah? Totally differently. Talk about it. <laughs> Be, well, because, because, you know, you have all these expectations. I was actually, I, I was with a partner at the time that I'm no longer with, and, that, and, and unfortunately it was a difficult circumstance where the partner was actually telling me, you know, you got to be wary. You know, if you transition, you might lose your relationship with your child. You might lose your relationship with uh, uh, your friends. You might lose your job. And so they're reinforcing a lot of these fears that were already in my head, and so that kind of slowed me down and it wasn't until I got um, close to the end of that partnership and out of that partnership that I was able to go wait a second what am I doing I'm not serving myself I'm serving everybody else's needs except myself and so I started on hormone therapy almost near the end of that relationship. Um, a couple of friends of mine had convinced my partner, this is a really good idea. You should just not get in the way of that. So that started things. And that's a whole piece of discussion. Uh, and then after that relationship ended, I started to get on the track of... Uh, uh, because it takes up to a year to a year and a half to actually uh, go through the approval process and the right. wait time for surgery um, that I start that process. And you have to live as the gender you want before you yep. have the surgery, which were you doing that already or no? I was switching were for so, work. Yeah, I was switching wow. for work, which is, you know, we, we call it dysphoric. It, you know, it's it's moving in and out of different persona all the time and it's, you know, problematic you can imagine yeah you know I'm a woman here I'm a man here I'm a woman here I'm a man here on a daily basis yeah wow well how, how much how fucked up would that be right yeah so yeah. <laughs> um I need to deal with that and as my psychologist said and you have to go through psych psychological evaluations at the time you did um they said um you can't sit on the fence you have to decide one way or the other you can't sit on the fence all day for forever so you had to make that decision and be out basically at work prior to having been able to do the surgery. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So you have to live for a year yeah. um, in, in your gender. Now, technically, I didn't. So my, my understanding is I was switching for work, and I told them why. So there's these economic realities that were holding me back. Mm -hmm. But I had plans to, and I did, but I hadn't been going for at least a year. They let me go through and apply anyway, special circumstance. And to my knowledge, they, they'd not done that in, in, in British Columbia before. Oh, wow. uh, so I was like the first time they said, all right, okay, we'll let you do this. That's cool. I think because I was older too and mm. I was, I'd taken so long to get to that point, I wasn't making any rash decision from their perspective, yeah. from that gatekeeper perspective. Right. Well, and this is yeah. all so subjective, right? Like that rule, who came up with that rule to say mm. that you have to do this, right? Like I, one of the things I talk about at nauseum on my, par on my podcast is like nuance and, par and paradox. Yes. Like nothing is ever super black and white. So it's interesting to me because it's like, well, let's think about why you actually have to do that. And like we don't, th that people would want to go through with the surgery, you know, in some sort of casual way is... Well, and, and, you know, what, what I reflect on uh, more often is why is there a doctor who isn't transgender telling me whether I'm ready or not? 
if you believe in bodily autonomy and agency, and you know, if you're out there uh, on the front lines of protests, you know, for women's right to choose what to do with their bodies, is is, is under fire recently. Right. Uh, well, always, but but. You, but it's it's hit the media in a big way, and and I think on June fifteenth in Vancouver, there's a big um, a protest going on downtown that I'll be at. But you know, if you believe in autonomy and agency for the right of a woman to carry a child to term or not, uh, then how does that not extend to other things, uh, sexuality, uh, gender, uh, uh, you know, surgery, all of those things? You can't just say. It's okay for you're okay autonomy-wise for these things, but not over here. Right. And this cisgender doctor over here is going to determine whether they're going to allow you to do that. And that's a big issue in the trans community. Right. We need to get away from this medical gatekeeping because it's not it's not an issue for somebody to tell us whether we're trans or not. It's for us. You know, you hear a lot about people say, "Well, you can't just imagine that you're transgender." Well, if imagining is your brain keeps sending you signals saying that you're not this gender, you're this other gender, yes, you can. That's exactly how it works. Right. And if the brain isn't the ultimate controller of what goes on with your body, I'm not really sure what is. It surely, surely isn't a penis or a vagina no. or some combination of those two things. Those things, like, we like to think they have brains of their own sometimes, but, <laughs> they just, but, they, but yeah. that's not how it works. It's actually, yeah. you know, your brain. And yes, you can imagine that you're a different gender. Yeah. It's funny, the podcast that I just released before this was with the doctor that does like brain spotting and other types of therapies to address physical and emotional trauma. And the quote that I used, totally unrelated, but the quote that I used for that episode for her when I posted it was she said what's in the body is in the brain and what's in the brain is in the body. Like yeah. you cannot separate these two no, things. No, I, I mean... Science-wise, we always talk about trans people. We say, well, the science says it. Biology says this. Yeah. But, but science hasn't, or, and, and the biology hasn't been able to separate those two. So I'm, I'm just going to go with that, yeah. Yeah. And it, you would think is one of the reasons that they do this is because they're, like, it's a liability issue. They're afraid that if you don't really want this, that you're going to come back and say, oh, fuck, I changed my mind. Or, like, is that part of it, do you think, that they want you to... That they're, the doctors are protecting themselves against. Against what? The people right. who are actually doing that yeah. aren't the people who are actually doing the surgery anyway. Yeah. Right? The, only at the very end does the surgeon have a final call, and usually they just take a look at the uh, paperwork from the other doctors and go, okay, yeah, it seems like... Well, and, and actually, their gatekeeping is more about, uh, you know, um, are you healthy enough? Mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, have you got, if, if you have, if you're neurodivergent, have you got that stuff under control before you go into the process? Or, you know, there's, there's medical reasons. Will you react to anesthesia? You know, typical right. surgery stuff, right? right? But the, the, the regret rate, which is the rate at which, um, uh, transgender people who go through transition, whether it involves surgery or not, go backwards is somewhere in the stats I've read somewhere between two and 4% globally. Now that's roughly the same, uh, adverse rate as, um, open heart surgery. So if, if, if the argument is somehow that, uh, you know, because some, somebody might regret and so nobody should be able to transition or get this surgery, 
well, then the same argument should work for open heart surgery. Yeah, yeah boob jobs. Oh, I regret getting these huge tits. Yeah, which I imagine um, the regret rate you is know, much higher. Wow, when I go jogging, it really sucks. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you can you can do that without. You can just go and pay and get tits. Unless you're transgender. If you're transgender and you want tits, you have to go through this medical process, you know, in, in Canada to, in order to get, you know, the, the government to pay, which, which we have socialized medicine, and, and that's a benefit. But you have to go through this medical gatekeeping to get approval and all that sort of thing. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. So I would be curious to know, and especially because you were kind of living these disassociated lives. The duality. The, yeah. Yes. That when you decided to fully transition, did you feel like you were able to embody other par authentic parts of yourself in addition to the female gender? Like, did it come with all these other aspects of you that maybe were kind of pushed under the surface more prior? Yeah, so so the way I and I don't know if I covered this like six years ago, but certainly I had that experience when you know there's a couple of different uh, you know milestones, if you will, that, that that I went through. The first was going on on well, first of all, it was just coming out, even socially, even though I wasn't out at work socially, expanded my ability to be able to act authentically in my life. So, but it wasn't full expansion, but but it was better than where I was. And then, then the hormone therapy. Oh my God! So you go on estrogen, and usually I start you on low dose. Um, a, a transgender friend of mine um, described it as being on low dose MDMA. Uh, it's like all of a sudden you just feel happier. And, and but but also what came with that and talking about the duality is, think of it as a, if I was very uh, left brain analytical up until that point. And then maybe about three, maybe four weeks into taking um, hormone replacement therapy, suppressing testosterone, adding estrogen, adding progesterone. These are the kind of, that's, you know, the technical. It was like my right brain turned on. And you're watching TV and you see a commercial with cats and you start to feel the tears well up in your eyes. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like literally these things that would normally go, eh, whatever. It's, you get very emotional. Even at work, I would, I would get, and I wasn't out at work at the time, I would get into these emotional discussions and all of a sudden I'd find my it, tears welling up. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Go like, who, is, is this, did somebody leave the manual for how to manage these emotions somewhere? Like, did I not get that manual? Did you get a manual? What, no, <laughs> nope, nobody gave nope. you. Nope, yeah. <laughs> would have been nice. The, but the no. difference is you, you had some degree of time to right. get a, um, acclimatized to these emotions. Right. I had like three weeks and then all of a sudden you're dealing as an adult and you're trying to navigate life. It's, it's a bit of a challenge sometimes. Yeah. And then the surgery was a whole other ball of wax, and, um, and that was good. How long after you started the hormones did you have surgery? Three and a half, four years. Okay, so a, a while. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I'm, I was slow. Oh, my God. Like, there are some trans women who have been waiting their whole lives to, to get to a point where they can go on HRT, and then they'll apply for surgery right away, and they'll go, go, go. Mm -hmm. I was, like, stretching this because work family 
I was concerned. I wanted to manage this super carefully. And that analytic side of me was still gripping on with all its might, trying not to let go. Right. Do you feel like once you did go through the surgery, do you have any regrets that you waited as long as you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, it, it, it was so much easier than I thought it would be. Uh, going, coming out at work was so much easier than I thought it would be. Um, I had way more acceptance than I thought I would have, although I was in like a, you know, 70 person company. So it wasn't a huge company, um, that can have its pluses and minuses. Um, but it, but it was, uh, reasonably okay. Uh, there were some challenges certainly after, um, my surgery I ended up leaving that company. Um, and some of it had to do with, um, my experiences presenting mail and being taken seriously and in a certain way as a male, and then experiencing that literally overnight, coming into work as a woman, same resume, same experience, same everything, and having men talk over you and not being invited to meetings and not solicited for your opinion and being moved into an area of less responsibility, and then eventually being in a position where I had to walk out the door. Wow. Yeah. And you feel like specifically that sort of treatment was because you were a woman, not because you were transgender? Are you able to kind of like recognize where the prejudice is coming from? Yeah, patriarchal misogyny. (laughs) How about that? Surprise! (laughs) Hey, did you know when you transition to being a woman, you sign up for all the things? Yeah, yeah. Don't bitch about it. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah, and but you, it's real, and and, yeah. and 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 you know, if I was talking to, well, I am talking to a cisgender woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't know, I didn't ask, but you know, correct. You're presenting, yeah, yeah. Um, and I would say uh, you're absolutely right. All the things that you suspected mm-hmm. are are actually true. <clears throat> and my my experience is being on both sides of the fence. Yeah, I'll, I'll testify to that. Yeah, yeah. I get I get frustrated. I think maybe in a different way than other women where I feel like the reaction to patriarchy has often been for women to try and become more like men. So we're going to like be more autonomous, more aggressive, louder, more masculine. And I break through the glass ceiling. Yeah, right. Exactly. Second wave feminism stuff. Exactly. (laughs) Whereas I feel like what really needs to happen is that like feminine power needs to be remembered or like for the first time in a long time like oh you know relinquishing control and trust and intuition all of these things have been you know so reduced in terms of their importance and value right um and so I struggle because it's like exactly what I'm you know being criticized for or stereotyped for it's like yeah I'm a woman I want to be recognized for being a woman not for like being able to keep up with the guys you know if you cannot bring that other part of you or when I you know went on HRT got rid of testosterone that evil stuff and 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 brought the 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 um uh progesterone and and estrogen into my body and it and it opened up those those pathways you know um if you can't bring that bandwidth that expanded bandwidth into your workplace then you lose your competitive advantage i'm a business strategist that's my business i teach companies how to correct problems grow faster gain investment from investors that sort of thing (laughs) 
And so I, I talk a lot about competitive advantage, how to differentiate yourself. How do you differentiate yourself as, as a woman in the marketplace? You act like a woman. And, and, and I'm not saying women are acting like men. I'm saying in some cases they feel like they can't bring that part of them, that femininity and the things that come along with femininity and that expanded bandwidth. They can't bring that bandwidth into the workplace. Why not? And it's an imperative because otherwise nothing changes. Yeah. Well, and you're at this in, in this interesting place where it's like you had to work really hard and fight really hard to become a woman, right? The last thing you want to do is try to like embody masculinity now that you've come this far, you know, like that perspective is unique. Whereas for a cisgender woman, you know, maybe fed up with it all. Like, well, I didn't ask for this. Well, that, and that, that's an interesting point. Like what I'm, what I'm catching from what you're saying is is triggering these, these thoughts that I've been having recently as Mm -hmm. I, you know, one of my, um, uh, partners is a, is gender fluid, uh, assigned female at birth, but uh, definitely brings that masculine energy in, and and um, and they being with them has made it almost allowed me to say it's okay to have some of that male energy or that masculine energy that I had pushed aside to replace with my femininity and it's okay to occupy both spaces at the same time. And I think, you know, uh, although it doesn't really change my identity as a transgender woman, I transitioned from one binary to another, you know, but it starts me thinking how, like how many trans women, um, really need to transition from one binary to another when we have so many more options in the middle now. And the reality is no matter how you, you, whether I identify, I used to identify as a man and now as a woman, uh, the reality is I am a mix of both things and there is no getting away from that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely want. I feel like you know, nine non-binary is definitely having a moment right now. <laughs> oh my god! And and I think you know, uh, for me, I'm like, it's not like I'm backsliding. I'm not saying like I regret transitioning, uh, not at all. This is where I want to be. But being able to express both my masculinity and femininity in the same body is fabulous. I'm definitely comfortable in my female self, my female body, but I'm allowed to express whatever way I feel. And we could do that even 10 years ago. I don't feel we had that. Well, and I think probably the issue with all of this is the labels and the structure, Mm -hmm. right? Because I feel similarly, I feel like a pretty masculine woman, yet I feel very much like a woman. We could Um, arm wrestle here. (laughs) You'd beat me, I guarantee it. (laughs) Um, And I, I mean, I have been sexually involved with women but I don't even really consider myself bisexual and it's like and I don't really know why it's just you know culturally growing up and we have these terms Mm -hmm. and these labels um but it is interesting because I do think because you know non-binary gender I think it's important to recognize it it is sort of calling into question the entire binary and 
you know, people who do still feel like, do you feel at all like you were proliferating that by? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. L- Lana Wachowski, when, when, when she transitioned, uh, gave me my favorite quote of all time, which is, uh, um, uh, you know, the, um, uh, sorry, my, like I'm losing my mind, but ba- basically, um, she was saying that the worshiping of the binary is, is a false, yeah, the worship of the uh, binary is a false idol, right? Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I really f- feel that, um, it's, it's unnecessary and unproductive to feel that, in order to be a transgender person, that you have to move from one binary to another. Um, and there's all this space in the middle that can open up new paths and new opportunities for us. Yeah. Or not, too. I mean, and I think it's like those, whether it's, you said something on Chris's podcast about not gender not being on a spectrum i think you credited this to someone else being like a sphere or something oh yeah 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 my, yeah my friend karen um smartest person i've ever met um you know iq is like off the charts and um she uh, she called it a phase space she's also transgender mm-hmm. And, uh, and that it was think, thinking like a 3D cube where there's a bunch of strings floating in the cube and the strings are all paths and sometimes the strings touch. And those are the common things that we have in common as human beings. But rarely will you find them all touching all the time. I mean, they're not wrapped in a ball. We all have our own paths that sometimes intersect. But for the most part, we're all so unique and we need to have that flexibility in society to express ourselves in those unique ways to realize our full potential that would be my can we talk like historically for you because i think this plays into it as well that we aren't one thing from birth until we die Mm -hmm. that we're ever evolving i mean whether that's gender or sexuality or Mm -hmm. your favorite color or food right like we're constantly or job like do you stay in the same job your whole life no no people change all the time so i'd love to hear a little bit about like what was that journey from you when did you kind of first have these thoughts that you felt Mm -hmm. like a woman and (laughs) i think you said you were a parent right yep um and if you're willing to talk 16 yeah. Honor roll student. Yeah. Private school. Um, wants to be a filmmaker. <laughs> so He's let, awesome. Wears amazing. his transgender support button every Perfect. day. Will not take it off. And he was one yeah. of the reasons, I think, earlier that you had said you weren't going to transition. Yeah. yeah. That I kept the recording of that, that whole conversation oh, on, wow. on my phone. It was a 20-minute long conversation. And um, I had it. I I worked for months with a psychologist and my ex-wife. We we sat down in sessions and worked out how we were going to say what we were going to say, because he's the most precious thing in our lives, yeah. and and we can't monkey with that. You can't. And and I, you know I hate to say it for my transgender peers that are listening, but you can't just wing this. Yeah. You've got to plan it out. And I see too many examples of um, uh, poorly planned coming out moments that result in a lot of anger uh, and um, the disconnect that happens. I was really fortunate. 20 minutes into this, he's listening as he always does. He's very sage, wise, kind of young soul. And um, and he said, I love you. And he wrapped his arms around me and gave wow. me a hug. And then he said, can I still call you dad? 
And I said, absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing, like, you know, even though it might make me feel a little twingy sometimes, what's the price to pay for the relationship with your kid? Right. And it's a word, right? Whatever, <laughs> right? You know what I mean, yeah, right? Totally. I suck it up, princess, yeah. right? I can do it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So when you were... I think I had heard you say something like you had remembered having these thoughts as early as three or something. Yeah. So was this always something that was a part of your life? Were you open about it? Were you closeted? Didn't have words for it. Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're going back, like I was, you know, born in 1965, so I'm a little bit old. Um, and, uh, and so I, we didn't have language for that. Even in my teen years, we didn't have language for that. The closest thing to me was a drag queen, and I knew that I wasn't a drag queen. Um, so I, I thought I, then I thought, well, I'm feeling feminine, so I must be gay. So let's go try that for a while. And, and relationships with men didn't really work. I mean, sex was great, but the emotional connection that I was looking for, um, I couldn't find it. So, um, I went hetero again. Uh, well, cis hetero, uh, got married and, uh, and had our son, and, um, well, I didn't have him. I facilitated. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's be clear. I facilitated the process yeah. of uh, my ex-wife having a son. And um, and then uh, in my, was it late 30s, early 40s, um, all those feelings, like, um, that femininity came back. And I understand from talking to my psychologist that that's pretty typical. They see a lot of, uh, you know... Um, uh, people at midlife, it comes crashing down on you. You've suppressed it so long, and then it eventually comes crashing down on you, and you have to do something about it. So um, I, 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 did I, I don't know if I told the story, the Vegas. Did I tell the Vegas story? I don't know. I didn't tell the Okay, well, I'll tell the story. Okay. So, so inevitably, like, you know, there's certain patterns that you see with a lot of trans women. You know, one of the things that they'll do is they'll go on business trips or they'll go um, uh, away for whatever reason by themselves and they'll buy clothing and, and makeup and they'll dress themselves in their hotel room and they'll stay in their hotel room and then when they leave they throw it all out it's a binge and purge binge and purge cycle and uh, the shame <laughs> yeah it's expensive the shame kicks in yeah. it becomes self-destructive uh, some become suicidal when they can't find a path out um, so uh, you know I've seen all kinds of stats on uh, suicide attempt rates but the one that stuck in my head is it's 20 times the average um, and post-surgery, I think it drops to a little bit less than 10 times the average. Um, uh, doesn't Or, or post, not always surgery, but post-transition. And that's because we still have to deal with the issues of societal repression and, and work and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so I went through this cycle and, you know, binge, purge, binge, purge, and then I end up in Las Vegas. So I'm in Las Vegas, and I don't know how to gamble. I don't go to Las Vegas. I was there on business. I was staying at Caesar's Palace, and, and uh, which was great, but the company was paying for it, so what do I care? And I decide, oh, roulette's pretty easy to try this gambling thing out. So, yeah, I just, you know, buy a few chips, and I win 400 bucks. And I think, sweet. And I'd been Googling prior to the trip, and I knew that there was this store in Vegas that did transformations. And so... I took my new 400 bucks 
that wouldn't show up in any paperwork. And I went to get a makeover. First time top to bottom professionally done. And I go, but of course I get excited and I spend more than the 400 bucks. So I um, asked the clerk, I said, how is this going to show up on my visa statement if I put the, the another 150, 200 bucks on my visa? Oh, don't worry. It'll show up as GB2. Nobody will ever know. Um, I said, great. Of course, I, I purge a lot of that stuff, but I also brought some of it home and I kept it stashed in, in my workshop. I had a workshop where I had some tools and stuff. And um, three days after I get back, my ex-wife, who, and I don't know if I mentioned this, is a forensic auditor by trade. <laughs> yeah, there's the penny that Convenient. dropped, wow. right? Three days. Oh says, uh, so I noticed this thing on our bank records online, of course, because we wouldn't have gotten a paper statement by that. Uh, something called Glamour Boutique. Can you, what's that about? And I'm like, it's 7.30 in the morning. I'm getting ready for work. I'm like a deer in headlights. I just thought the world just dropped from under me. And uh, I, I said, I, I think I said something like, uh, I'll, I'll look at it when I get home. I don't know. And I get in the car and I'm about two blocks up the road trying to think of all the lies I can tell. How can I skate out of this one? How much bullshit can I put together to get out of this? And then the light goes on and I go, I'm just going to tell her. And that night I sat her down on the edge of the bed and I told her, this is what's going on. This is how I feel. And it's been like this since I was young. And now I'm really feeling it, and it's something that I really need to keep pursuing. And, you know, through a lot of tears and talking, we tried for a year to make a go of it, and she was very accommodating, giving me, like, a, I'd get started a day a month and then two days a month where I could have that to myself, and she would go off and do something with my son, and I would get dressed and, and go out and socialize as a woman. But, of course, anybody who's, got, who's transgender will tell you it doesn't stop until you're all the way out. Those feelings won't go away. They'll just get worse. And that's my Vegas story. Yeah, it's a great story. And that story. was the beginning yeah. of the second part of my life. Yeah, wow. I, and I imagine having that experience in Vegas of being made up from top mm -hmm. to bottom for the first time. I mean, obviously super powerful, but probably also empowering as it relates to needing to be honest and come to terms with the extent of this. I looked you. pretty good. So, <laughs> so, so that was like, the thing. I was like, wow, this is me. This is, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that, that was the kicker. You know, if there was the before Vegas and the after Vegas, that would be the split in my life. Pre Vegas. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like 80. Yeah. You know, a a v after Vegas. <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing what just simple or seemingly simple things like clothes and presentation, how big of a difference. I had this. How you see yourself? Yeah, I had this crazy moment a couple weeks ago, and I've always, I mean, I've always been thinking about gender. I think I've always embodied my masculinity more than my femininity, and mm. only recently I'm trying to get back to that. I had a a little bit of a troubled relationship with my mom, which I think played into it, not trusting women, not trusting myself as a woman. And I had this moment, we were with friends and we were in this room 
and there were no mirrors, but there were open windows and it was dark nighttime. So, you know, mm -hmm. when you see yourself in the reflection of a, a window and it's dark out, there's sort of like something left to imagine, right? You don't mm. see total details. And this woman, she was our friend, she's 60 and beautiful and super powerful, like super powerful feminine force. And she had this like furry jacket that she would wear. And, and I, I don't know, somehow I got to putting it on. And my first thought before I looked in the window was like, oh my gosh, I looked like I would never wear this. I would like stand out too much. People would look at me. I would call, you know, call too much attention to myself. And I put it on and I look in the window and I, I had such a crazy moment of like seeing myself as a woman for the first time. It was so fucking powerful. And all I did was put on a freaking jacket. Right. Yeah. It was amazing. It was like one of the most profound moments in a while actually I felt like I saw my mom in my reflection like it was a whole thing it's and and I I think I think that's very uh, relatable to the trans moments that we have yeah. when we first get dressed up we first start to see ourselves for who we really are yeah. um and uh so so yeah it's clothing's an interesting thing um you know we trans women often get criticized by primarily second wave feminists, a lot of transgender exclusionary feminists, uh, for uh, over-feminizing and, and representing a patriarchal worldview of, of what it means to be a woman. And, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, uh, one is safety. Um, you know, if... if um, y the more feminine we look... Um, the more people slot us into that look. Like, a lot of, I, I think, I don't know if it's most or whatever, but there's a lot of trans women who don't pass. And, and you know, passing being can't be identified as transgender or, or would, would be identified in the, in the gender that they're presenting in. Um, and a lot, of, um, a lot of us don't. And, and so we tend to over-feminize as a safety reaction to uh, wanting people who aren't focused on us, but we're walking down a street, and we don't want them to focus their attention on us too much. So we want to put the lipstick on, and we want to put the blush on, and we want to put the makeup on, and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, so clothing and makeup and all that stuff, it's not just about... Pretend, like it's not pretending it's about um, um, feeling safe in a lot of ways Yeah, so. <clears throat> which is fascinating because I feel like for a lot of cisgender women they think the opposite is true that over feminizing will make them yeah. put them more at risk but you don't have to prove that you're right. a woman it's every crazy. day of your life we yeah. do yeah totally yeah yeah. Well, and I'm I'm in the place where you can like, wear whatever you want, right. and nobody's going to challenge whether you're a woman or not. Right. Right. Or just in terms of being objectified. I mean, it's just the mm. whole. It's fascinating how this stuff works, depending mm. on who is experiencing. Because I would very much but like. But you don't. To. You don't think about that when you're 16 or 15. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You think about that when you're. Older, like right. I, I'm, gu I'm guessing, yeah. uh, a trans woman who, whether they're 20, 30, 40, 50 and transitioning, they're like a bunch of 15-year-olds running around, right? Right. First thing they do is run to Hot Topic and yeah. buy some, you know, yeah. <laughs> the shortest miniskirt they can get. You yeah. know, it's, it's yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. 
Um, so we don't have those experiences, and quite often that's another function of what you're seeing when you see a trans woman who's relatively new to their transition. They wear age-inappropriate clothing mm-hmm. quite often because they don't, they don't know. There's there's very few of us who have a mentor. Right, and again, there's no manual. And we've never experienced <laughs> yeah. that, so it's kind of like we're experiencing being a woman in a very compressed timeline. Yeah, like you're going through what it would be like to jam it into the next three years right (laughs) and we're gonna go from you know 13 years old to 50 or 40 or 30 or whatever wow so can we talk about the whole nature nurture thing sure sure with that yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) so oh yeah no no off-topic questions (laughs) you cannot offend me i love it and uh, you know but you never know Yeah, if people, if you don't ask the question, then people aren't going to know. And I think the stat is 85% of people uh, in the population have never had a meaningful conversation with a trans person. Yeah. But those 85% sure have an opinion about us. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But ask away. What yeah. do you got for me? Well, I guess, what are your thoughts on it? Which is, I guess, pretty broad and maybe just talking from your own experience. Um, yeah. You know, do you think there is a binary there do you feel like it's maybe a little bit of both do you feel like depending on who the person is you know it depends I don't think there's a binary I, I I've come to believe that um you know I've done a fair amount in in order to have competent conversations with people who might challenge my right to exist and say that I'm not a woman I'm just a man in a dress pretending and trying to co-opt the female experience which is the you know, the turf or trans-exclusionary radical feminist perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, I don't think there's a binary. Um, What I do believe is that I've read 29 different studies on uh, brain scans of transgender people. Out of 29 studies, I believe 27 of them identified that the transgender brain more closely aligned their their, uh, gender... um, that they present in versus their gender assigned at birth. That's size of this lobe, size of that lobe. A lot of it's volumetric. You know, they look at the size and 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 that sort of thing. Different parts of the brain. So there's differences in the brain. You know, from, from if you want to talk about biology, mm-hmm. uh, historically, like you you would have to go back if you just want to talk about genitalia as an indicator of. Um, of sex, you would have to go back to the 1600s and Mandel and his his, you know, work on um, genetics to to go back, and 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 we discovered, you know, um, um, things like chromosomes and and hormones and their roles in, you know, the the hormonal wash in the in the in the fetal brain that goes on around seven or eight weeks and how that's supposed to tell the brain. By the way, you're this gender or this this biological sex, and sometimes that wash gets interrupted. Um, and the interruption of that wash can happen from environmental. So there, you know, were drugs given to mothers in the '60s and early '70s to prevent miscarriage, given out like M and M's, and that's been shown to interrupt that fetal wash. Um, there is just being different. There are 16 different chromosomal variants in human sex. If you think science has nailed all this down, science is malleable. We discover new things about the human body all the time. If we didn't, 
then why are we pouring billions of dollars into medical research? The reality is we just don't know a lot of things and very little about the brain. But we know that hormones, chromosomes, the dangly bits between your legs or the non-dangly bits between your legs or a combination of those two things. And, you know, the brain, they all factor in to deciding what our sexuality is. It's not just about reproduction. Mm -hmm. Reproduction is only a part of this. Yeah. So, did that make any sense whatsoever? Yes. I went on a soapbox there. <laughs> a science soapbox. No, no, totally. But I don't, yeah, I don't think that there's a binary, but I also think that there is the science aspect, nature versus nurture. Sure, there's nature. Nature made it possible for me to transition. Yeah. If I... I was in the right environment, both for work and socially, in this really progressive part of North America that made it possible for me to say, yes, I can do this. Right. There were some biological imperatives, but the both had to happen. Right. And culturally, I mean, if you look cross-culturally, like I studied gender and sexuality in school, so basically all we were doing was looking at how that expresses from a you know anthropological cross-cultural perspective yeah. and of course it's widely varied so part of this too is like for thousands of years yeah yeah and this evolves over time you. right yeah so it's like part of what's happening is that we're trying to align how we feel with the outward environment which yes. depending on where and when we are is quite different like and i there's I don't know where, like, the the right culture lies, if that's true, but I think, like, humans are in this interesting place where we're so wanting to fit into groups, right, and communities and identify with like-minded people, and yet that same desire can be used in a limiting sense to create these sort of, like, um, boxes and labels yeah. that aren't as like don't have the breath that we need them to have. Well, we use boxes and labels to communicate, but the whole the, the way that's supposed to work is you're supposed to observe how a person is behaving and presenting themselves and then you're supposed to apply the label. You don't apply the label first and then force the person into the box. It's it's cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. There's good reasons for labels. Without labels, we don't know that, you know, that's a shelf, that's a chair, this is a table. Yeah. We need labels to go, hey, can you sit in the chair? Oh, this thing? This is a <laughs> chair. Okay. Yeah. I am a transgender woman. Right. Oh, I understand what that is. Right. The difference is when you tell me what I should or shouldn't be, and that's where I go, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, right? Like, yeah. if somebody says, you can't be that... It's like, now you're infringing on my autonomy and agency, which is not infringing on your rights. That, that's not cool. And the argument that, oh, wait a second, you might be peeing next to me in a bathroom stall and I might get upset. Well, you should deal with your feelings. Maybe get some psychological help around that. You know, the whole phobia thing, irrational fear or excessive fear, the dictionary definition. You should get that checked. You know, but don't put it on me to deal with because, you know, anybody who's been polyamory knows, you know, just because you're feeling a thing doesn't mean your partner has to own it. Yeah. Just because you're feeling a little tense about the possibility that somebody with, you know, a penis might be peeing in a stall next to you and you have a vagina 
if you're wound up about that, that's your problem. I kind of, I talk about this all the time, like, as long as, you know, safety isn't an issue, I, I find that where that kind of fear and hesitance comes from f- for people is that it calls into question their own identity. Mm. Like, this is the box that I fit in. Oh, and, yeah. Right? <laughs> and I kind of like messing try around. Dating, <laughs> try being trans and dating lesbians. Yeah. Which, well, let's talk about that, because oh I did want to yeah. talk about, like, obviously gender identity and sexual orientation are different things, but how have those two things played into each other for you and... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, in terms of my sexuality, well, for me, my experience was that nothing about my sexuality really fundamentally changed. I mean, yes, I'd become more expressive on my sexuality. And, you know, that's, I'm not sure if that's a function of my being transgender and transitioning in as much as it has been socially connecting in the polyamory community and the kink community, uh, feeling comfortable and being allowed to express myself, having great partners that, you know, have, have brought that out in me. I don't think that had anything to do with my transgender nature. I think it had to do with just finding the right, um, uh, social environments to express myself and discovering this wonderful thing called polyamory and relationship anarchy and and um, and and exercising my autonomy and agency in that respect. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, in terms of sexuality, I mean, uh, I am attracted. I mean, I've had sex with anybody, um, and every time I say I am, you know, I I lean this way something comes around to say <laughs> nope. no that didn't work like like i would have said if i was going on ok cupid or tinder or whatever um i would say i'm looking for uh, cisgender or transgender women um and or you know, uh but i'm open to non-binary right um and but but primarily like definitely femme focused well that changed a little over a month ago met somebody we have this incredible connection and they're much more of um they're a uh, non-binary person definitely on the masculine side and it's wonderful so i'm just gonna step back from the whole like this is what i am sexually and go yeah whatever <laughs> I just haven't found that relationship with men. So, you know, I'm just going to say for the time being, that's not something that I found that works for me. Yeah. But never say never. Yeah. Yep. Finding emotionally mature men, too. I, I had, I think I mentioned I interviewed my dad on the podcast and sort of similar trajectory to what you had, but in terms of his sexual orientation was with men in his early 20s living in New York. Well, I so can like, just imagine that yeah. discussion. So, Dad, oh, how much lube is enough lube? Yeah. Oh, we like, have how do you these, have that discussion? Oh, we have them. <laughs> and that's sort of what I want, why I wanted to have the conversation was because our relationship is so unconventional and unique. I mean, I mm-hmm. talk to my dad about, I probably feel most comfort, comfortable talking about sex with my dad than I do some of my friends. Um, so it's a very unique relationship and I just wanted to That's super give cool. voice to it. Yeah. Um but he made this decision, you know, in his early twenties where he was like, I can't find any emotionally mature 
gay men who yeah. want to be in a relationship with me. and They want to fuck like rabbits. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What's well, an iPhone? And, and which he didn't have an issue with. He was like, cool with that too. Sex is cool. Yeah. But like, you know, when it comes to long-term partnership, that's what I'm looking for. And so I better choose a woman because that that's where I find that, you know, it's, it's fascinating how those things work. I mean, I think I made that decision in terms of like, I didn't uh, for a long time know that non-monogamy meant that I could have emotionally intimate relationships. I sort of thought I had to choose between like, you know, a, a serious relationship or my sexuality and then eventually realized like, no, you can kind of have both those things. But we, I think so many of us go through that process in one way or another where yeah. I think our options are a lot more limited than well, they and are. I, and I project my own experience onto that a bit, you know, with, getting away from testosterone and, and moving to estrogen and progesterone uh, and having that experience with my brain opening up. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I, I liken, if you feel this, before I went on a hormone replacement, my lib- think of my libido as being definitely genital-centric. Mm. Definitely. You know, you get a woody. Yeah. It's a thing, right? <laughs> um and and so you know when you see somebody who's attractive, you, your genitals tend to react. My heart reacts now, and you you hear about you know aftercare in, in the kink community and you know in the in the in the more conventional sexuality, it's cuddling after sex and you know kind of that pillow talk and that sort of thing. Um, but you don't understand it. Well, I didn't understand it as a male until my transition. That I'm going, oh, now I understand why cuddling after makes total sense. I need that emotional connection. I need it during sex and I need it after sex. And that's what drives me. And the orgasm becomes less important as a goal. And, and it's the journey is the reward, you know, to be trite. It really is for me. And I was just having this conversation with um, um, uh, a friend of mine last night, and we were talking about, um, you know, needing that. Like, we can't do... We're we're both having problems going to sex parties and doing drop-in sex, you know, like pick-up sex or whatever, like with somebody we don't know. Now it's like... I have to talk to them for two hours and then we'll go upstairs <laughs> and it's really inefficient, you know, <laughs> it's super inefficient, yeah. but, but it, it's all goes to my need for emotional connection, my love of love, my love of, um, connectedness. Yeah. And I just love like thinking about and these things in an honest, cohesive way, because I think like where we're struggling in the world right now is recognizing that like femininity and masculinity are different and both valid and yet present both present yes. in all of us and And they're not opposing sides. And they're by not the way. opposing sides. They don't right? have to be. Right. So it's like when we talk about this whole like non binary thing, like for me, you know, I think we started this conversation of being like, you know, women don't have to be more like men to be equal to men. We can be equal I mean, separate but equal is such a problematic phrase, but, like, we can be different yet the same, right? Like, these two things can coexist. They don't have to be identical, like femininity and masculinity are no, both valid. They, they can, yeah, they're both valid, and, and they're both valuable. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the equality thing is just 
I mean, I, I get patriarchy and I understand how we got here. Um, why we're staying here kind of mystifies me, and why men find it difficult to comprehend mystifies me. It, it's just like not being a dick to people and not being a dick to women, yeah. right? How hard is that, you know? Don't be a dick. Well, I think it's like a fear of feminine power. That's what I think. And I think women would be... I think it's loss of privilege is just, you know, yeah. when, you, when you've got, you know, front row seats to every game and somebody yeah. says, you know what, we're going to take these tickets away from you yeah. and you're going to have to compete for those tickets with everybody right. else. Right. They're like, what? Well, right. Yeah. But like I the, inherited these yeah, tickets the from, and, and I've, to you. my family's always had these tickets yeah. at the front row. What yeah. do you mean you're taking them away from me? Right. Yeah, I'll actually, fight you for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You actually like do. have to interact in the world, right? And like develop power in your own respectful way. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I would love like to end it. Where would you, in your lifetime, kind of love to see this whole like gender journey that's going on right now get to? Like, do you feel like? I mean, obviously, in terms of rights and all of that, but do you have some idea of? where you think we're going in regard to the transgender sort of movement as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think like like anything is anything in social progress, we'll beat it to death for a while, yeah. and we'll keep beating it to, to death for, you know, the, and what I mean by that is we're going to keep on fighting until we get to a point where people go, okay, like when when the cis-heteropatriarchy finally says, okay, like, we're tapping out and just live their lives and let us live our lives. And let's move on to other bigger issues. Yeah. That's, that's where we want to go. I don't want to disintegrate gender. I don't think that's the answer. Mm -hmm. There's that... I, I love the gender expressions in my partners yeah. that are non-binary. Yeah. I love those expressions. I don't want to see them, you know, um, just wash away into this grayness of one gender. But I just want people to stop making it like it's a life-death decision whether I allow you to pee in the bathroom uh, or use a change room or hire you or, you know, that, that's, that's where I see this going is eventually we'll talk about it so much that we'll stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, move on to something else. Some other taboo. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's just go tear find apart something the wall. else, right? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, I could probably talk to you forever, but uh, I think it's Thank been you. a little over an hour. Well, the one question that I ask everyone that I have on my podcast is, if you could recommend one book that was like largely instrumental in your life, can be any book that you want the listeners to, or you think would be valuable for them to read. What might that be? Oh, um, yeah, Bell Hooks. Feminism is for everybody. Cool. Thank you. That was quick. Not everyone can do it that quickly. <laughs> that was impressive. As you can see, I've got a lot of books <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm one of those people, too. All right. Thank you so much again for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hello again. Thanks for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Marissa is amazing. 
Um, and as I mentioned on the episode, if you want to go back and listen to her talk six years ago, um, head on over to Tangentially Speaking, Chris Ryan's podcast. I forget what episode it was, um, but if you do a quick Google search, just like Tangentially Speaking and um, Marissa, you should be able to find it. Um, but it was really cool. She kind of called them bookends on her life, like before and after her transition. So it was really cool for me to listen to the old one. Um, and I think her to reflect on the old one and then record this new one. Um, so highly recommend doing that. I am going to play you out with a very thematic song today. It's called Wild Wild Woman by Your Smith. Um, I really like uh, the, her music quite a bit. This is a brand new song. I think it was released just a couple days ago. I just listened to it for the first time this morning and thought, this is perfect for this episode. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. If you do like it, I recommend going to check out more of her music. Uh, Your Smith, Y-O-U-R, Smith. And that's it for today. Love you all. And talk to you soon. In the wind of the night, in the light by the bed, I hear a voice calling me, calling me back. I barely hear it, like my head's in the bed. I hear a voice calling me, calling me back I tried to leave her hiding all strung up I tried to keep her quiet, but she's screaming inside of me I tried to keep her hiding all